0: Hello, this is Jeff Windsor, and this is Lucky Words, a podcast where we talk about culture, art, and a good deal of poetry. Ideally, all while we're outdoors doing something cool. It's morning on the San Rafael Swell. It's beautiful, crazy, surrounded by magnificent and fantastic... As in from something out of fantasy these rocks. They're incredible. It's a barren dry landscape mostly. The only living animals besides humans I've seen are the ravens. The sun has just come up. Just getting the sun hitting me. It was cold last night. Had the wind blowing over my face all night keeping me a little bit chilled. i got to find a spot out of the wind. I'm going to read one of my favorite poems today. Prayer One by George Herbert. Herbert was a 17th century church man. His book of poems was published after he died. And he told his brother-in-law to look it over, and if it was no good, to burn it and not let anybody see it. Fortunately, his brother-in-law knew what he was doing, And he published this, which is from The Temple. It's a collection of poems. Most famously, there's Angel Wings or the Altar, which are shape poems. Angel wings are shaped on the page to look like a set of wings. And the altar looks like an altar. This is, as I said, prayer one. Prayer, the church's banquet, angels age, God's breath in man returning to his birth. The soul in paraphrase, heart in pilgrimage, the Christian plummet sounding heaven and earth. Engine against the Almighty, sinner's tower, reversed thunder, Christ side-piercing spear, the six days world transposing in an hour, a kind of tune which all things hear and fear. Softness and peace and joy and love and bliss, exalted manna, gladness of the best, heaven in ordinary Man well-dressed, the Milky Way, the bird of paradise. Church bells beyond the stars heard, the soul's blood, the land of spices, something understood. There is so much to love about this poem. It's extraordinary. To me, it sometimes feels just like a list of adjectives, a list of descriptors for prayer. And that makes sense. Angels age, God's breath, and man returning to his birth, the soul in paraphrase. And the soul in paraphrase, what a great little phrase that is. But it just seems like, yeah, that's a nice little description for prayer. Where it gets troubling, though, is in the second stanza. I have never myself reached a fully satisfactory description for what's going on in that second stanza. If he's talking about prayer as something desirable and good, as he does at the beginning and the end, here in the middle, engine against the Almighty, sinner's tower, reversed thunder, Christ's side piercing spear. Reversed thunder that's thundering back up at God, or prayer is the spear that pierces the side of Christ? That's kind of hardcore. And a little bit, I don't know, it feels almost sacrilegious when I think about it. But I can't believe he means it in a sacrilegious way. Perhaps what he's referring to is the feeling of a person who is tested almost beyond their limit. The person who's saying, why God, why me? Maybe he's talking about the person who has suffered great loss. A parent who has lost a child or a wife who has lost her husband praying to God saying, why would you do this to me? Why are you so mean to me? The third stanza begins with an interesting rhetorical device. A little while ago, we talked about uh, where there is a list of things and there's no conjunction at the end. Instead of A, B, and C, it's just A, B, C, D, without any conjunction. What we have here is polysyndeton, which is where there is a ton of conjunctions. Softness and peace and joy and love and bliss. The effect of polysyndeton, where there is a conjunction after each and every one of them, it throws it off in a way which is, in some respects, very similar to what goes on with asyndeton. With asyndeton, we're thrown off kilter because when the end comes and it moves on, we're not expecting it. In this case, we're expecting it every time. Softness and peace. Oh good, that's the end. And joy. Oh, that must have been the end. And love. Wait, was that the end? And bliss. Okay, I just can't predict anymore. And it feels like things are just piled, on, piled and piled on top. It's more and more and more. The effect of that rhetorical device, of that polysyndeton, is just to make us feel like it is this overwhelming pile of things. Almost unending pile. It was only after I'd been reading this poem for a couple of years that I had an epiphany about it. And I was looking at it closely, trying to see if I could unlock anything more in the poem. And I realized there's no verb in this poem. There's no central verb, there's nothing happening. And I thought about it for a while and I've talked about this with my students and they always reach the conclusion so much faster than I ever did. And it's just because they're so much smarter than I am. But the verb is in the title. The verb is prayer. And I think Herbert is encouraging an active prayer. A prayer which is a wrestle with God where you're going to have your leg broken. My favorite part of this poem, though, are the last two lines. I like that it's in the past tense. I also like just that quiet end to the poem that seems perfect. ...for the subject that it's discussing. Here's Prayer One by George Herbert. Prayer, the church's banquet, angels' age, God's breath in man returning to his birth. The soul in paraphrase, heart in pilgrimage. The Christian plummet sounding heaven and earth. Engine against the Almighty, sinner's tower, reversed thunder, Christ's side-piercing spear... The six days' world transposing in an hour. A kind of tune which all things hear and fear. Softness and peace and joy and love and bliss. Exalted manna. Gladness of the best. Heaven in ordinary. Man well-dressed. The Milky Way. The bird of paradise. Church bells beyond the stars heard. The soul's blood The Land of Spices, Something Understood.